everybody, and welcome to another belated edition of the Scouting Spotlight podcast on the World Football Index. I'm your host, Austin Miller. Hopefully, I remember how to do this. Tom Robinson joins me, as always. Tom, earlier this morning, I recorded a South American football show. Now, I'm recording a Scouting Spotlight podcast. It's 2018 all over again. You're on fire, Austin. It's, it's good to have you back. It's It feels like everyone's everyone's coming back at the same time with uh, Simon's return to Twitter as well. So, yeah, uh, looking forward to, to doing a, a, a first scout light, scouting spotlight pod of the year with you. Obviously, we did one with, uh, with, with Adam and Simon, you know, which I enjoyed at the time, but felt a little bit dirty and guilty about afterwards. So good, good to have you back, my, uh, my long-term partner. <laughs> On today's show, we'll be breaking down San Lorenzo and Argentina forward Adolfo Geich. We'll get into him in a minute. You mentioned the podcast that you did with Adam and Simon Tom on Campania, who then went to Wolverhampton Wanderers. I feel a little bit like a teacher coming back from vacation. My pupil, if you will, you under a substitute host. <laughs> Everything okay? We were all good? Yeah, just about. Got got through it, but you know, um, I'm enjoying the fact that the the tried and tested combo is has been reunited and uh yeah, looking forward to this, uh, discussing another interesting center forward i do want to take a second to do to thank adam for hosting that show i was on vacation back in the states and my mind was a long ways away from south american football at that point so a big thank you to him tom as we get into today's show talking about geich we have is it fair to say breaking news you probably can't break news on a podcast that's being recorded on a friday and probably won't go out (laughs) until the week after but here we were planning this podcast for this week, thinking we would be talking about Adolfo Geich's move to Belgian club Bruges, and it fell through, and he's going to stay at San Lorenzo for six more months. What do you make of that very quickly before we get into him as a player? Yeah, it's, it's a big shock, really, because it looked for all the money in the world that it was a, it was a deal that had been worked on, and um, you know slowly Bruges had come up to the asking price that San Lorenzo were afterwards, and you know it seemed... He was all ready to sign, and then out of out of nowhere, almost it it fell through. So it's going to be um, fascinating to see how Geich reacts to that that setback and and what it does mean for his for his future. Because I was I was all ready to be you know lauding uh, you know a sensible move to um, a, a good club that's developed a lot of talent and and quite a good stepping stone to get some experience in Europe. But but now it's um, yeah I put everything. Um, back on the back on the table, and uh, yeah, it's gonna it's an interesting first chapter in in what's already been a pretty uh, jam packed year or so in Geich's early career. Very quickly, that Bruges move seemed to fall through over bonus structure. San Lorenzo appeared to want Bruges to make bonuses in the contract or in the deal that would be then paid back to San Lorenzo, more manageable for Geich to achieve. San Lorenzo, a club, Tom, that are hopeful that they can get an influx of cash in this seemed like a deal they wanted to have happen but they wanted to try to guarantee themselves as much money as possible and at the very last last moment it it fell through like you said yeah i think it was on course to be one of their record signings as well so um and definitely it looks like bruges with that sort of negotiation stalling things a bit looks like they changed their changed their sights to michael kremenich who's again quite got a similar profile but with a bit more um, experience so yeah very very odd um because 
certainly you can see it from San Lorenzo's point of view of, yes, you want to be able to keep hold on to your, your talents as long as possible. But as we've seen with players like um, Christian Pavon at Boca, if you don't kind of strike while the iron's hot, then you can sort of look back a, a year later or so and think, oh, you know, we're, we're, not, we're not going anywhere near the, the same amount of money. Not necessarily something that I think will happen with Geich, but um, yeah, certainly um, an interesting, sort of almost like a double-edged sword, really, in terms of, yes, it's going to be brilliant to, to see him in the Superliga a bit more or what remains of it, as I'm sure we'll get onto. But, um, but also you kind of think, is this um, an untimely breakdown of a move for for San Lorenzo in terms of how they can operate as a club. Let's get in now, Tom, to Geich as a player himself. Uh, a big kind of target forward. Uh, he's played for San Lorenzo professionally now for a couple of years. Has had a lot of success with Argentina. Uh, he scored six goals at the Pan American Games in 2019. A trio of goals at the 2019 Under-20 South American Championships and then another trio of goals then at the Under-20 World Cup in 2019. What do you like about him as a player? What stands out about his playing style? And what should people expect if they, they turn on a game and find Geich in the starting eleven? Well, I think you said it there. I mean, when you first look at him straight away, all the stereotypes of uh, an old-fashioned proper number nine target man jump to or spring to mind, you know, he's one meter 90 about six foot three inches um so and he's got a really burly build to him and he's he's one of these strikers that you don't tend to associate with um argentinian football um so that immediately makes him like a very interesting prospect in in the context of of the national team and just the game um over in argentina but i think there is the danger of just pinning you know those those obvious good target man, strong, links other people into play and just sort of penning him that, just as that. And I'm probably guilty of it myself, really. When I first saw him play for the under-20s um, in the Sudamericano this time last year, um, I mean, he had a great game against Venezuela where he scored a hat-trick. But apart from that, he didn't he didn't hit the back of the net and he showed good moments, but also looked a bit rough around the edges. And I thought, oh dear, here, here we go. Another, another Gio Simeone um, who's who's potentially mainly in the squad just because he's a bit, you know, a proper number nine and and has a different physical build to to most of the forwards forwards around him. But as the years gone on, I've been more and more impressed with the fact that he's not just a big lump up top. He's someone who who likes to have the ball played in 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 front of him, facing goal. Someone who who likes to get in behind defenses. I mean, not that it's probably the most helpful comparison right now, but in the same way that um, Erling Haaland looks like a, a huge physical specimen and is one, but actually when you when you look at his game, that there's a lot more to it. Obviously, Geich is not on that level, but I think there's there's some comparisons to be made there in terms of not judging a book by its cover, shall we say? I think one of the things that stands out to me when I watch him, Tom, is how kind of smooth he looks for his size and his strength. Uh, he can, as you say, kind of fill that target role, but he moves very well. Uh, I think maybe a bit better than you would expect when watching him. He's long, he's lanky, but he gets around the pitch in kind of this smooth manner without these hiccups or hitches in his game. And, and I really enjoy that about watching him play. And he plays hard too, uh, it's fair to say. And, and I think that's certainly appreciated by his teammates and, and by his managers and everything. He's a hard runner, and he's a bit of a grinder in that he'll get into kind of dirty positions and he'll 
he'll get down to hold up a play and that sort of thing. And he puts a lot into playing the position. And I think that's something that also really stands out when you watch him play. Yeah, definitely. Like you said, he's he's got a bit of deceptive pace about him, hasn't he? Uh, it's not, you know, it's not absolutely lightning, but I think defenders are a bit surprised by his kind of surges past them and his, his good shifting the ball from foot to foot. And, and I think, yeah, there's definitely something to be said for his, his good anticipation, the timing of his runs. If anyone's seen that goal that he scored against Colombia in the, in the pre Olympicos recently with a nice little McAllister back heel, you know, he surges onto it, takes it really well and finishes nicely. So he's got, you can see why a lot of clubs in Europe are really um, quite interested in him because he's got that physical build that, you know, he's he's going to be able to handle himself in any European league that he goes to. And, and as you said, he's, he's got a bit more about him. You know, uh, I think Adam did compare him a little bit to kind of a young Harry Kane during the Sudamericano, maybe because of his, those broad shoulders, that slightly kind of hunched ungainly look. Um, And, you know, not someone who's necessarily going to be the finished article at 20, but, um, could ignite in in a couple of years and, and kick on to the next level again lofty comparisons there and I wouldn't be saying that he's necessarily got the same ceiling as either Kane or Haaland but someone who I think's progressed um, a bit quicker than I expected to in the last 12 months and and there's a lot of people saying oh he's maybe the next Martin Palermo or, or something like that but um, I think that's actually surprisingly one of the kind of areas of his game is his aerial or certainly his heading um, in terms of headed shots on on target I think that's actually somewhere where he's he probably could work um work on his game a little bit more he's he's very good at holding the play up and flicking flicking on but you know going through his goals there's not actually that many headers in his in his repertoire of goals it's more kind of which for somebody as as tall as he is you'd expect there to be a, a whole host of them exactly so I mean it, hopefully it's something that he can build on and and really improve on because he yeah he, he's got that physical presence he's got you know, that, um, all that ability, that good movement, he gets in the right areas. So if you think you could add that to his game, he really would be um, an all-round an all-round prospect. And I think that's what makes him, as I said before, such an interesting prospect in, in terms of the Argentinian national team. Because, you know, the last proper number nine that, that Argentina had was, was probably Higuain. And even, even he wouldn't be classed as your typical big man up top. You know, he's a burly striker, but he's not necessarily someone who's super tall and, and going to be heading loads of goals in but um and the, you know you, you kind of look at the others that they've tried Prato in the past you know he's a bit he, he's you know past his prime now Lucas Alar- Prato, Argentina national team striker was just, <laughs> just absurd on so many different yeah. levels it was it was a weird one as was you know there's always the, the odd one like Benedetto or something like that as well but there's not really anyone of Geich's ilk apart from maybe Simeone who you know, is a, is a trier, but he, he's fairly limited. I think Alario is the only other one that you'd kind of throw in there as, as the, you know, target man type, but he's not someone who's as physical and he, he's got a bit more about his game than just a tall man up top. So I think that's what makes Geich such a, such an interesting prospect of, of where he can fit in. And, and clearly by the fact that he'd, he's already been given a national team um, debut, albeit only three minutes, shows that he is he's well regarded in in the national team setup, and and that is primarily where he's been doing doing most of his best work. Tom, I know this is an Adolfo Geich podcast, but I do have a quick trivia question for you. How old was Lucas Prato when he made his Argentina debut? Oh, I'm going to say thirty one. 
Well, that's how old he is now. So you actually oh, shot really? you, yeah, you way <laughs> overshot this question. Uh, he was 27 when he made his Argentina wow. debut after not ever featuring for their youth teams. He's had five Argentina caps and he scored two goals. That's a pretty good return for Lucas I Prado. Bring him back. I mean, I, I of all people should be bigging up the the exploits of 31 year olds. So uh, more power to him. But I did think he was a good three years older than he was. So um, my kind of my timeline was was just a few years off there. <laughs> Sorry, Austin. It's okay. It was a good trivia question. I, I'm I'm a bit disappointed in your performance, though. Uh, let's let's get more in. I, I'll aim to improve. <laughs> okay, back to Adolfo Geich. Tom, we mentioned uh, uh, at the start of the show the failed move to Bruges. That means six more months at San Lorenzo, um, which sounds good in theory. And then you kind of sit back and realize that because the Argentine football calendar is what it is, that six months will consist of six games in the Argentine Superliga once he returns from the Preolimpico, which will probably eat up at least another couple of games. And then however many group stage matches in the Copa de la Superliga, which uh, the existence of that competition has been described to me as Genar la Calendario, El Calendario which in Spanish means fill the calendar. So always good for a competition to have that purpose. Uh, so six more months at San Lorenzo for Geich. Tommy's got a couple more matches upcoming in the Pre-Olimpico as Argentina try to qualify for the Olympics. There's an international window in March, World Cup qualifiers start, and then a Copa America. Are the next six months more important for him maybe internationally than they are for with San Lorenzo? I think maybe for his profile, yes. But I think at the end of the day, this is a guy who's only got 20 league appearances so he's still extremely inexperienced and I think it's it's almost a blessing in disguise that he he will have time albeit you know not too many but at least to you know rack up another 10 or so um, games for for San Lorenzo and he only, he only really got a regular run in in the squad um towards the end of last year he was criminally misused by the likes of Almiron and Pizzi and you know he 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 was absolutely on fire towards the end of the season so I think you know just getting games under his belt l- less pressure that kind of thing is, is going to be is going to be good but obviously it's it's going to be mainly about you know the the real bookmarks in in the next six months are going to be his national team um, exploits because as we said did well at the under twenties in the Sudamericano three goals in nine games which you know which was was good at the under twenty World Cup three goals in four games so um, you know starting to step up more and more than the Pan Americans as you mentioned before six goals in five games albeit you know maybe again not against the highest caliber of opponents but you know this this sort of regular improvement. And I think certainly that, that kind of saw the end of the Super League. It was about four goals in his last three or four games that that's really kind of seen him continue this upward trend. And he's, he's playing with better uh, players around him. He's getting, he's full of confidence. So if he can take that into to the Olympics and, and really make a name for himself there, then you know, you'd kind of think that San Lorenzo at least won't be kicking themselves for the the decision to play hardball and and they could cash in potentially even make um, a a bit more bit more money out of him so um yeah i I don't think it's a crucial stage certainly from his his league form i don't think his unless he gets a bad injury or something that's the only thing that i could see his his sort of star fall slightly but um, it's definitely a a possibility to improve it uh, at international level i think one thing 
that is kind of interesting to me in thinking about his timeline and his calendar. You've got the Olympics coming up in August. I think we're both in agreement considering how close he was to moving now that he's probably off in the summer. I think it'll be interesting to see whatever new club he ends up at, what they choose to do as far as the Olympics are concerned. Uh, not being a FIFA date, they don't have to release him for the Olympics. Do they have to release him? They don't have to release him, do they, even as an uh, under-23? don't think so but given the sort of timing i think most of the leagues are are done and dusted by that by that point so you'd hope that any new club that would bring him would would allow him to do that before linking up for pre-season but um yeah um i suppose we'll have to to wait and see yeah there's there's always the the few that are denied that but um usually south americans get their own way and, and get a pretty strong squad for the olympics um so i'm hopeful that we should be seeing him there any potential moves you'd like to see for him, Tom? I, I know you mentioned that this Bruges move would have been good, and I, I think I'm in agreement with you. One thing that stands out to me in thinking about a potential move is he's got the physical tools already, especially for a 20-year-old that's kind of surprising, but he's not going to look out of place physically in any squad that he goes into. Exactly, and that's often one of the sort of question marks we have of these sort of young, lightweight players who are they going to be able to hack it in the the fast-paced and physical world of of European football. But yeah, Deitch would slot into any of the more physical leagues, you know, England, France, Germany. You could see him going there. I like Bruges as a as an option. I wonder if they've kind of burnt their bridges because of um, because of this um, last-minute pulling out of the deal there. Um, because they they've given the given players an opportunity to play European football develop at you know a decent level without necessarily the pressures associated around one of the top clubs in Europe um, and if you just look at some of the business in, in recent years that Belgian clubs particularly to the uh, Premier League have done you know you've got players from just from Bruges a couple of players to, to Villa they sold uh, Grenoble to Bournemouth Ischiello to Brighton and then you look at some others like from Genk, the, the likes of Ndidi, Benteke, Trossard, Samata have all, have all gone on, Dendonk and Tielemans from Anderlecht. So there's, it would seem that if he was to go to um, Belgium, that just seems like perfect kind of finishing school for then a Premier League club to come in in a couple of years. I mean, there were some some very tenuous links to, to Villa, um, given their their links to, to Bruges and certainly the amount of business they've done with them recently. And you kind of think, There'll be a whole host of lower half Premier League clubs who'll who'll be keeping an eye on how he does in Belgium if he were to go, for example. Um, I mean, and there's even been rumours today of, of of Manchester United being interested, which I think would be a step up, probably too much of a step up, and a and a and a situation that's probably not the healthiest for a young player who's who's still yet to prove himself. But it just goes to show some really big clubs are are looking at him and. Um, he's not going to be short of suitors come the summer. I could actually really see him in the Premier League at some point. I don't think the type of move that he could go for now would be a move that would be good for him. Uh, we've seen South American players struggle in mid to lower table uh, Premier League sides. But down the line, uh, a couple of years from now, after he's maybe gotten some more European experience somewhere else, I think he would be a very intriguing player for that kind of mid-table Premier League side to have. Uh, he'd obviously... There'd be a lot of pressure to score goals if he was brought in to that type of situation. But I think that could actually be really intriguing. And you know, Tom, that Premier League fans would love to sing about the tank because that's his nickname, El Tanky. 
It is indeed. It's one of a few nicknames, some a, a little bit more controversial. Um, obviously, his first name, Adolfo, has seen maybe some less PC people in Argentina um, nickname him things as such as El Panza, El Fura, um, El Genocidio de Gol, Genocide of Gol, or, or something like that, which is very ill taste indeed. Um, and it was given further fuel by the fact he was laying waste to defences in Poland at the Under Twenty World Cup, which didn't really help this um, unhelpful nickname that he's that he's been getting. I mean, I I personally think he deserves you know something a bit more original than El Tanque, um, because he was born in a place called Bengolea, which is in in the province of Cordoba, and literally that has got you know, goal in the name of the town he's from. So he's got to be like the goleador, the Bengolea, or the man who puts goal in Bengolea. That's what I'm going for, at least, Austin. I'm I'm sure that you will pour some scorn upon it. The nickname was terrible. The translation of the <laughs> nickname might have been even worse. Go with that. And maybe that's because there's not a good there's not a good one to one translation for goleador. But the man who puts goal in Bangalore, really? Bengalaya. Bengalaya. It's literally Bengalaya. Goal, goleador. It's pretty much written there already. You know, it's he's he's the goal scorer from Bengalaya. Oh, uh, now I now <laughs> now I realize why it's been so long since we've done one of these shows, Tom. <laughs> well, you know, I'm trying to trying to do something original there, but you know. It, it's not clearly not going to catch on. I, but I will. It, I'll pass. I'll pass that one along to uh, my friends at the office, and and we'll see if it catches <laughs> on. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a good Spanglish pun there, but you know, not for everyone. Not for everyone. Uh, also, not for anybody but you. But, <laughs> uh, anything else you want to add here on guides before we wrap this up, Tom? Um. No. I mean, I think we've gone through his his exploits in pretty good detail. I mean, obviously that it being transfer deadline day today, there's still the possibility that a surprise, you know, move to someone random like Middlesbrough could happen. But I don't think when, by the time this pod is out that we'll be, we'll be seeing Geich in Europe just yet. Um, but I do think that mark my words in two to three years, I reckon he'll be in the premier league. If not before, who knows? I'll keep you to it. Like I always do, Tom. Thank you to you, the listeners. New bad, new bad predictions. That's the way it goes. Right, right. Uh, thanks to the listeners for tuning in to this podcast. Be sure to follow the World Football Index on social media for all the latest from us. All that's left for me to say is thanks for listening and goodbye. Goodbye.